This Faith and Finance podcast is underwritten in part by Hope for Zambia, empowered by Family Legacy. Hope for Zambia, empowered by Family Legacy, is a ministry providing holistic care for over 14,000 vulnerable and orphaned children, spiritually, intellectually, physically, and emotionally. Whether distributing 5 million meals each year to children and young adults, or by empowering students to graduate from high school and go on to pursue trade school or a university education, Hope for Zambia believes that when you educate a child, you transform their world. Go to Hope for Zambia.com slash faith to give and change lives. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I am Rob West. That passage from Hebrews 13.5 reminds us that there are more important things than, well, things. Today, we'll talk about the benefits of choosing contentment. Then we'll take your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance, biblical wisdom for your financial journey. Well, let me start by defining contentment. Contentment is an attitude that says, I will be satisfied with what God has given me. Unfortunately, the godly contentment we're talking about isn't a popular virtue in our materialistic culture. There's constant pressure from peers in the media to desire more things, better cars, cooler friends. The attitude that says, I deserve this, is so prevalent that we've given it a name entitlement. Parents usually scold their kids for having this attitude because it's really a form of selfishness. But it's not only kids who have this mindset, is it? So if an entitlement attitude is creeping in at your house, what do you do? Well, here's some wisdom from Moody Church theologian Harry Ironside. We would worry less if we praised more. Thanksgiving is the enemy of discontent and dissatisfaction. Cultivate that attitude of gratitude, and you'll find it easier to be content. If someone, including you, starts complaining, stop a moment and think about what you're thankful for instead. You know, the Bible tells us about the benefits of being content. For the Apostle Paul, being content meant having the ability to weather all of life's storms without fear or worry. In Philippians 4.11, Paul writes, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Well, what's Paul's secret for being content in all circumstances? How does he do that? He finishes the passage in Philippians by saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Ultimately, it's Jesus who provides the strength to be at peace in all circumstances. Like Paul, you and I can choose to be content because as Christ followers, our position in Christ never changes. Circumstances ebb and flow like the stock market, but who we are in Christ never budges one bit. We're saved by grace and our eternal future is secure. This can and should change our perspective on everyday life. Proverbs 19.23 puts it another way. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. 
Fear in this case means trust, honor, awe. We trust, obey, and respect the Lord because He is our Master, our Holy Lord. This trust leads to life or flourishing. It's like spiritual confidence. Then, as a result of fearing the Lord, the verse says one rests content, untouched by trouble. That doesn't mean we won't face trouble. I think it means trouble can't destroy us spiritually, so we can choose to be content. Another way to understand the choice to be content or not is to understand what the opposite looks like. The opposite of contentment is to be dissatisfied, disappointed, and unhappy. It's actually worse than that. Proverbs 27.20 says death and destruction are never satisfied. So being discontented is right down there with death and destruction, not something you want in your life. In Ecclesiastes 5.10, we see another problem with discontent, a lack of meaning. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. If what you make or what you have is all that matters, then you can never really be content, and you're courting death and destruction in your heart. The Bible confirms that in God's economy. Material things are meaningless by themselves. You can be grateful for what God has provided now, knowing that He has a good plan for you both now and in the future. So as Philippians 4.19 teaches, you can let your heart be filled with gratitude because the Lord will supply every need of yours according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Ultimately, our choice to be content rests in our understanding of three things— God is faithful, we can have peace through Christ, and our circumstances don't control us. Because we have the power of the Holy Spirit to face life with gratitude and grace. What God has for us is so much better than what we can imagine for ourselves. When we realize this, buying and keeping things doesn't seem so appealing anymore. We can choose like the Apostle Paul to be content in all circumstances. All right, your calls are next. We'll be right back. When we follow Jesus, the things of this world grow strangely dim. We focus less on ourselves and more on God's kingdom. In Michael Blue's book, Free to Follow, we're reminded to surrender everything to Jesus and follow Him. Free to Follow explores what the Bible says about money and possessions and challenges you to rethink the way you view and use them. Request a copy of Free to Follow with your gift of any amount to faithfi.com follow. Every day, FaithFi is working to meet people right where they are. Through our national radio program, app, and website, we're helping people put their faith in God and not in money and possessions. And we're encouraging and equipping Christians to have a passionate pursuit for sacrificially living and giving the money entrusted to them. If you believe in and have benefited from FaithFi, would you consider becoming a monthly FaithFi patron? Learn more about the FaithFi patrons' membership at faithfi.com and click Give. Welcome back to Faith and Finance. I'm your host, Rob West. The number to call is 800-525-7000. I'm looking forward to hearing from you as we take your calls and questions from across the country. Uh, let's head to the phones, and uh, we will welcome, uh, we are talking to Joe. Go ahead, sir. My apologies. Hi, Rob. I'm 52 years old, and I'm putting money in a Roth IRA. I, I heard I can get it out at 55. I was wondering about that 55 with no penalty, if that's like a rolling number, or could I take the full amount at 55 
even though I haven't had it in there for fi- for five full years. Yeah, so the, you've got a couple of things going on. There is a five-year rule for a Roth IRA, which just simply means uh, that Roth IRA uh, needs to be open. The account needs to be open uh, for five years before you can take a withdrawal of the earnings. Now, if you're doing that before 59 and a half years old, you're going to pay a 10% penalty. Uh, the rule of 55 recognizes that you might leave or lose your job before 59 and a half. And if that happens, you might need to begin taking distributions from your 401k. Um, they will not put the 10% penalty on you at 55 if you lose or leave your job, but that's for a 401k, not a Roth IRA. Okay. So this is a Roth. I put money in now at 55. I could take out the gains and then at 59, I could take the gains and the principal with no penalty as long as it's been yeah, five any, years. Uh, no, at, at any point, you can take your original contributions. So if you were to total up all of the contributions you made, which are after-tax contributions because it's a Roth IRA, if you total up all the contributions you made from inception to current, uh, you can take up to that amount at any time for any reason. But if you want to get the gains out and you want to be able to get those out tax-free, which is the beauty of the Roth, you would have to have that money, uh, that account open for at least five years. And if you don't want to get hit with a 10% penalty, you'd need to wait till you get past age 59 and a half. Okay, great. That's exactly what I was looking for. Thank you very much. Okay, you're very welcome. We appreciate your call very much. Chicago, Illinois. Hi, Sean. How can I help you? I just started a job and I'm about to get my relocation assistance. And uh, my question is, should I use the majority of that relocation assistance to be used as a down payment for my first home? But at the same time, I'm kind of iffy about it because I have some immediate needs, like I'm falling behind on some bills, a car payment. Should I use that relocation to take care of my immediate need? Or because it's such a large amount, should I think of the future and say, put it towards the purchase of my first home? Yeah, it's a great question, Sean. So let's unpack this a bit. So you, have you already moved at this point? Have you already already done the relocating? I have, uh, and I'm fortunate to be staying with family. Yeah. So just based on the timing you had kind of settled on in your mind, uh, plus conversations you've had with your family, what do you feel like is an appropriate runway for that? I mean, I don't want to stay more than three months uh, with them, okay. and okay. that would be about the as far as I'd want to go. And I could have, you know, maybe ten percent, you know, for a, a fairly good sized house. And I'm I'm expecting my first child too, so I've got to think of you know two three bedrooms kind of thing. So I'm I just I just want to be a good steward of my monies. Yeah, no, so that that's really helpful. So in three months, you're looking to either uh, buy something with a smaller down payment around 10%, buy something with a larger down payment, which would mean that you'd use up most of that relocation assistance, uh, or rent, or is the rent option really not an option? I could rent for another year or two. I just feel like rent, uh, at least in this Chicago market, uh, from where I came from, uh, I wouldn't get as nice of a place as where I would have came from. Yeah, 
No, I certainly understand that. Uh, let me ask you, do you have a real good feel since you're new to the area of where you want to land? Because that's the other case for renting uh, beyond even just I need more time to save for the down payment is, you know, I there's any number of kind of neighborhoods and, uh, you know, areas of town that I can live in, especially given commutes there in Chicago and so forth. Uh, I might want to take some time and figure that out. Or do you really have a good sense of where you want to be? I do have a good sense of where I'd like to be, uh, so I praise okay. the Lord for that. Okay, well, that's good. All right, let's talk about the other things that you mentioned that you have. By the way, if you don't mind me asking, what was the relocation amount? Uh, $4,000 even. Okay, and what are you thinking about doing? So, for instance, do you already have an emergency fund separate from that? I had, but then I had to move and put everything that I had towards the move uh, even me and my wife okay. had to sell uh, many things too to help cover it. Uh, but all right, so we got, yeah, we got. that's helpful. And then, what other things do you have that are immediate beyond just kind of replenishing your emergency fund that you would consider using this money for if you didn't put it toward the house? I do need to pay for my car notes. Um, my insurance has fallen behind, and uh, there's a few other things too, like small bills, like okay. just the phone bill. You know that yeah. come up. Okay, so here's what I'm hearing. Uh, just given the state of things, uh, the fact that you've depleted your emergency fund, and I can understand life happens and you just kind of had to do it in the context of this move. But now taking that only margin that you have, which is a blessing, uh, and plowing that back into a home when you, you've fallen behind on some real immediate things like keeping the utilities current and you know other things, I'm just not seeing that as an option right now. I think at the very least, you've got to hang on to that 4000 because it's not even truly an emergency fund. You're you're telling me you're needing it for things that are due today. Uh, beyond that, as much as I don't like to rent, and I agree rent prices are high right now, I'm getting the sense until things get settled out, you're on a budget that balances. So even once this, you know, ideally you'd be able to set this 4000 in an emergency fund and not touch it. But what I'm hearing is... There's probably not even enough available for you just to keep everything current on an ongoing basis, which tells me we've got to be really careful about putting that budget together. And so I think for that reason, it doesn't sound like given the, what you have for a down payment and given some of these immediate needs without any margin to fall back on, it doesn't sound like this is the time to buy a house until you work through a lot of those things. And so I'd look for either A, extending the time you're with family, and that may not be an option, and I certainly understand that, or B, maybe renting something more temporary so you can get all of these pieces in place. But I'm a little concerned about you taking on a major purchase right now with not the typical 20% down payment on top of the fact that you really don't have any emergency funds and we're behind on current bills. All of those things tell me we could take a situation that's a little difficult right now and make them even worse. But give me your thoughts on that. I'm seeing your point on that, and I, I, I'm actually leaning towards that, too, uh, because it is immediate. I mean, I don't want to lose my car. Yeah. I don't want my phone to be turned off, um, and I still yeah. need to put gas and, and do some groceries. Yeah, let me do this for you, Sean, because it sounds like things are a little bit—I mean, I'm, I'm not— 
causing, I don't want you to be overly alarmed, but at the same time, I mean, what you're describing here is, you know, this is something that needs to be addressed. I mean, we've got bills that are falling behind and, you know, you're brand new in town and yeah, you've got $4,000, but that could be gone in a hurry. What I'd like to do just to serve you really well is connect you at our cost with a Christian financial counselor. Uh, This is a certified Christian financial counselor who can come alongside you and your wife, help you all put a spending plan together, answer some of these questions, make plans for the future, look at what it's going to take between now and when you're ready to buy that house to get to an appropriate down payment. I think you'll feel a lot better by having a third party just kind of walk alongside you to put all these pieces in place. So we'll get your information. I'll get you connected to someone and uh, we've got to hit a break. So we'll be right back. Thanks for calling. We're grateful for support from Movement Mortgage, who provides residential home loans in all 50 states. Guided by a mission to love and value people and a goal to redefine the mortgage process, Movement seeks to help others achieve their financial goals. You can find out more at movement.com slash faith. Movement Mortgage LLC supports equal housing opportunity, NMLS number 39179. For licensing information, please visit nmlsconsumeraccess.org. We're grateful for support from Eventide Investments on the Faith and Finance Program. Eventide's approach to values-based investing is grounded in the belief that humankind was created in the image of God with intrinsic dignity, value, and worth. Eventide calls this investing that makes the world rejoice. More information is available at eventideinvestments.com. That's eventideinvestments.com. We're back. I'm Rob West, and this is Faith and Finance. Thanks for listening today. Thanks for taking the time. As we head into our calls and questions, I want to take a moment to ask you if you've downloaded the FaithFi app. You can use it on your desktop or your mobile device. All right, let's head to the phones. By the way, if you have a question, just call 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is Sandusky, Ohio. Jim, go ahead, sir. Yes, I was uh, wondering what is happening with uh, the, like the it, lack of a better way to the cryptocurrency. The federal government's trying to and FedCoin. What is actually happening with that? Because I keep saying that it's going to be starting to change over this July, but by what uh, the president, you know, put an executive order, it wasn't supposed to touch anything yet. But it seems to be yeah. moving faster than I thought. <laughs> Yeah, let me clarify a couple of things, Jim. It's a great question. Yes. The short story is uh, there's two things that are happening, and they're uh, they're confl- being conflated together, and it's causing some confusion. Uh, number one, you are correct. The Biden administration uh, asked several governmental agencies, including the Treasury and the Fed, to begin to explore uh, this idea of a CBDC, a central bank digital currency. Think about it like a, a digital dollar. Uh, the challenge with it is it's fraught with problems, uh, namely just the lack of privacy, oversight, and control of every transaction that would uh, be feeding data into the Federal Reserve, which has lost a, a great deal of trust, uh, to say the least. Um, and so there's there's a lot of reason to be concerned about that. It's a hot topic right now. Uh, we even saw uh, the state of Florida come out, and there's legislation on the table uh, right now to make a CBDC uh, not 
able to be used with the Florida's Uniform Commercial Code as a way at the state level to try to thwart this activity and send a message. But it's still very, very early. I mean, it's people writing white papers and doing research, frankly, that have no power to put it in place because it's clear that coinage is a congressional function. It's going to have to go through Congress and the president before we'd ever see it come uh, to the light of day. And there's a lot of concern on the part of uh, legislators with regard to uh, the government having this kind of access to uh, data around transactions and control over uh, our currency in a way that, frankly, they've never had before. So it's a good ways off if we ever see it. So what's happening this July? Well, this July is something called Fed Now, which is basically an instant payment platform uh, for banks and businesses. It's being called a digital currency. It's not. Uh, essentially, what's going on here with Fed Now is if you want to send a transaction uh, through the electronic means, relying on the current uh, banking infrastructure, uh, you can't do that 24 Seven, seven days a week. Uh, for instance, you can't do it on the weekends. And uh, Fed now would make uh, payment transactions possible uh, 24-7, seven days a week instantaneously. And so it's a means by which you can transfer money using the Federal Reserve, and it's an instantaneous process which uh, allows for more timely uh, transactions when those are necessary. So that's what's coming in July, but that's, uh, you know has nothing to do with a, a central bank digital currency, although I will say that could be part of the plumbing for what could come down the road with the CBDC, but it's not that in its current form. Yes, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah. So do you think it's a good idea to even have something like that with the federal government controlling it? Uh, which one? The, no, payment the one you just system talked about just the, now. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Fed now system, I, you know, I think it, it's certainly, uh, you know, I, I don't have any problem with it. It is, especially for folks who need electronic transfers on the weekends, they need instant transactions. Uh, the Fed now program is going to enable that. Uh, so it is going to speed up commerce and be very effective for folks that need it. Uh, if you have concern about, you know, these transactions running through the Federal Reserve, then you may want to think twice. But, uh, you know, I think uh, based on its, you know, what's coming out in July, I wouldn't have any problem using it per personally. Okay. That's you answer my question perfectly. Thank you very much. All right, Jim. Thanks for calling, sir. God bless you. 800-525-7000 is the number to call. Uh, quickly to Chicago. Paul, go ahead, sir. Hi, Rob. Thanks so much for taking my call. I have a question. Sure. Um, I I have a I have about $6,500 in credit card debt over three credit cards. I am maxing out my 401k at about 14% and my company's matching 4%. I have zero security or safety uh, savings account. And I'm wondering if I should reduce my uh, 401k to about 6% so I can keep the 4% match so it'd still be about 10 and use that money to pay off my credit card debt and start uh, having a safety account. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, so you have no emergency fund, correct? Correct. Okay. And, and the way you're doing it now by paying the minimums on the credit card, plus what you're putting in the 401k, you're living right up to the edge. I mean, there's no margin left at the end of the month. Is that right? Correct. 
Okay. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I would look at, Paul, and maybe we're doing, a, we do several of these things, but the first thing I would do is I would, um, uh, you know, look at how you can cut back on in other areas rather than taking money away from debt reduction or long-term savings and see what we can do with lifestyle spending to eliminate expenses. Are there subscriptions you can cut and could you change some insurance policies around? I mean, what can you do to lower expenses to free up margin? Secondly, um, with the, um, the credit cards, I would probably look at a debt management program. I mean, it's not a part of the credit scoring algorithm, uh, and you would get those interest rates reduced, and you could get on one level monthly payment. It's probably very close to what you're already sending today, but through that payment that's level and the reduction of the interest rates, uh, they, the accounts would be closed, so you'd only put in the cards that you're willing to close the accounts on, but you'll pay those back on average 80% faster. And that may allow you to just keep, you know, get the credit cards paid off over time with less going to interest because of the lower rates. And then we reduce the um, the uh, 401k uh, only to build up the emergency fund. But as soon as we do, then we kick that 401k right back up and we just pay out the credit cards over time, but we do it through the lower interest rates. So the total amount going to interest is less. How does that sound? Yeah, that sounds good. Thank you. That's All right. Excellent. So what I do is head to christiancreditcounselors.org. That's christiancreditcounselors.org. Start with them and have them evaluate that 6500 for a debt management program and then uh, make those steps to build up your emergency fund. Thanks for your call, Paul. Well, we're almost out of time. If you like today's program, why not share it with a friend? And while you're at it, share the FaithFi app with them as well. Help us get the word out. Thanks for listening and sharing, and I hope you'll come back and join us again next time for another edition of Faith and Finance. Faith and Finance is provided by FaithFi and listeners like you.